Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 338. The subscription industry is like the most friendly, community-minded industry. It's unbelievable. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, and welcome to today's show. As I record this, we're still scheduled to travel on vacation in a few days. It seems like forever since Michael and I have been able to be up, up, and away on a personal trip together. We're having to jump through hoops for sure with all the medical documentation and the testing requirements. But I'm super excited to travel again, masks and all. If you want to take a peek into where we're going and the highlights along the way, make sure to follow me on Instagram at giftbizunwrapped. One of the things I love to do when I'm in a foreign country is look for interesting ways of doing business. A change of environment and culture always brings out new ideas, and I love sharing this with you. So that's one thing you'll see if you follow my journey. And who knows, I may even pop on live from time to time. Probably some weird hours and internet-dependent, but you never know. Okay, today's topic is subscription boxes. Do you love them as much as I do? I subscribe to some myself, receive them as gifts, and discover such fabulous new products as a result. You know what else I've been doing with these boxes? I find it's a great way to build up a backup supply of thank you gifts. Then they're always ready when I need one. I'm even thinking about stocking stuffers as we move into the holidays. Anyway, in today's show, we're talking about subscription boxes from two different angles. The first is on starting a subscription box, as your entire business or a portion of your business? And then second, have you ever considered getting your product into somebody else's subscription box? Maybe you have, but are thinking you're too small to be able to do this. Well, think again. There's a lot of subscription box goodness being delivered right now. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Eric Music. Eric is first and foremost a proud husband and father of five beautiful kids, four boys and one brand new girl. He's the co-founder of Louie and Leia, which is a subscription box for expecting and new moms. All products in the boxes are made from small businesses and local makers. Eric is also the host of The Subscription Box Show, a podcast dedicated to the subscription industry. He interviews the world's top subscription box founders and industry-leading tools. Eric, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hey, Sue. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Me too. And I told you a little bit earlier, I do something very traditional as we get started with the show, and that is to have you describe yourself in a little bit of a creative way over and above the intro that we just did. And I'd like you to do that by describing yourself as a motivational candle. So what would that look like by color and quote? Yeah, thanks for asking. I was looking forward to doing this. I've never been asked that before. 
Maybe it's because I'm a dude and I'm not that much into candles, but we do have a lot of candles around the house. So I scoured the internet for manly scented candles and different things like that. And I found a lot of different cool things like whiskey candles and leather candles, stable and horse, those kind of things. But I'm actually from up in Canada. So we were surrounded by a lot of pine trees and forests and evergreens. So I would call mine Northwoods and it'd have that kind of uh, northernly boreal forest kind of a scent to it. Beautiful. And what color would it be? Oh, dark green, like a dark green mixed with a little bit of maybe black and grays, but definitely a dark green. Love it. And how about a quote on the candle? Yeah. So, so I love action quotes. I believe we can have all the information we need and want, but if you don't take action, nothing happens. So I really love a couple of them, but I'm going to go with, don't be afraid of change. Be afraid of standing still. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Because if you stand still, you're never going to get anywhere. So typical with our industry too. We think of all the reasons things aren't going to work and then we freeze. That's it. <laughs> Analysis paralysis or whatever, how it goes, right? Absolutely. How do you get yourself out of standing still? You know what? Just making a list. I'm kind of OCD to some degree, but I'm also like very easily distracted. So I think by making a list and only having not a long list, but maybe narrowing it down to three things, either that's per week or per day, however you need to do it on big jobs, small jobs. But I like to having a list and having just three things I can do. And I like to physically check them off. Yeah, you know, there's something magical about three. I often talk about three, too. And you know, in designing, how they always say unevens, you should always be doing threes. So there's something about three. And certainly you're going to do more than three things, probably in a day, but the top three things and just getting those done and checking them off. So excellent. You started off with a great tip, Eric. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's dive into Louis and Leia and talk about how that got started. Sure. So Louie and Leia, like you mentioned, is a subscription box for expecting and new moms. Basically what happened, we have five kids and preparing for baby number four, we kind of lack of prepared for it. So we went to the hospital thinking we're already pros and found out we we're super unprepared for even baby number four. So we love a show called Dragon's End up here. It's your equivalent to Shark Tank. It's very entrepreneurial and we're always looking for business ideas. And actually me and my wife had been looking to do something together for a while. We just didn't know quite what. I had been in a communications job for 15 years. She's a graphic designer for, oh, now it's probably almost 20 years. So we're looking for something to do. So we decided to look for a subscription box, something to kind of like we can get something monthly or quarterly to help us prepare the first year of the baby. And there was really nothing out there. There was a lot of pregnancy boxes or toddler boxes, but nothing really for that first year. So together we decided, let's do this. We put together some ideas, a business plan, and that's kind of like the birth of Louie and Leia. It's really simple. It just came out of something we found that was kind of a hole in a niche that we thought could super exciting to be part of because that's what we live every single day. But also just because it's a niche that's always there. There's always going to be babies and there's always going to be new moms looking for information. So that's a short version of how Louie and Leia was born. Not to mention that people are willing to spend money for their babies, <laughs> their new babies. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. You guys have such compatible skill sets together. And I love the part that you're saying you were on the lookout for something. So you were kind of scoping. You had the idea that you wanted to start a business together. You didn't know what it was going to be. And so you were both kind of the antennas were up, right? And then finding it as something that fills a need and something that you weren't able to find in your life is an excellent way. And so I want everyone who's listening here to consider that if there's something that you're observing as you're going through your day, that's a whole something missing that you could fill. It's something to consider as a potential business. Yeah. And if your listeners are listening and they maybe want to do something, but they're not quite sure what I was there for 20 years. So I'm 39. 
And I started this venture around 37. So it took a long time and probably like from 17, 18, all the way to 37, I knew I wanted to do something for myself and I didn't do it. And if I could go back in time and tell myself, what would you do differently to get that idea faster is just to be super vigilant and being aware of your surroundings, always kind of looking for signs of something. I'm not talking about like woo woo stuff, just like physical signs. You know, you meet someone and get out of your comfort zone and to really like I was pushing myself to join masterminds that I was not comfortable being a part of. I'm kind of naturally a little bit, it's hard to believe, like a little bit more introverted than extroverted, but getting myself into these masterminds, going to a conference, spending a little bit of money on self-development, reading good books, listening to good podcasts. And I think putting yourself in a position to just have new experiences will often get the memory or something going to activate that kind of creative side in you. Yeah. And maybe spark the idea. It could be totally disconnected, but it just does something that triggers the idea. So one of the two of you had this idea and then did it automatically feel right? Did you both go like, yes, this is it? Or did you have to think about it a little bit? Or what was that decision point that said, yeah, we're going to take action on this idea? Yeah, well, of course, Christine, she's the brains of the operation. So of course, my wife, Christine, she's the one who came up with the idea. And myself, I was like, man, that's a, you know what? I wasn't crazy about the niche just because I'm a guy and I'm like babies and pregnant moms. Like, what do I know about this? Right. But what I was excited about was being part of something that was reoccurring revenue. I liked the business model behind it. So Christine was had all the ideas with the creative side of things and being part of the head of like, she's a mom of four at the time, five now. She can really relate with these moms and really help these expecting moms. And myself, I was more on the business side of things. I really love the reoccurring revenue. I love the subscription model. We fell in love with that by watching, actually, again, Dragon's Den and watching Olivia Canlis. She's a Canadian subscription entrepreneur. She owns and founded Meowbox. So if you've heard of BarkBox mm -hmm. or dogs, Meowbox is kind of the biggest one for cats and just fell in love with the model. So I think it's something like, you know what? This is great. I think we're going to be able to really work well together. We both have, like you said, really different strengths, but they work well together. And I think once we kind of figured out that this could be a lot of fun working from home together and doing something like we've always wanted to do as a couple, as a family business, it was a no brainer. That sounds very exciting. Plus your kids were home. So this way you could work, be home with the family. It sounds like some potentially nice balance, balance with boundaries, right? Because if your business is at home, no. <laughs> that's a whole different show. Yep. <laughs> okay. So how in the world do you start a subscription box? What are your first steps? What a great question. If I had a dollar for every person who would ask me that, it's unbelievable. It's a really long answer, like you could expect. It's not a magic potion. There's not a pill. Well, I want to know how you did it. And then later, we're going to talk about how you would suggest to do it <laughs> or more the consulting end. But so how did you guys get this box started? Yeah, so we went about it wrong because you really want to start with a pre-launch. And we just thought that our idea was so great that we would just put together some products, curate products, which is the fun part of it find some suppliers, order some boxes. And we were really focusing on the wrong thing. So we did a lot of mistakes. I can't wait to talk about how to actually do it. But the way we did it, we kind of just jumped two feet both in and we did a lot of listening of podcasts, watching a lot of shows, reading resources online, typical market research, finding out about our competitors. So we did do some good things. We ordered our competitors boxes. I use competitors with air quotations because I really, really have an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. I think there's enough business for everyone. Even if there'd be 50 boxes in the same niche, I think there's still enough for everyone. We just got to separate yourself by doing different things, right? But anyways, we ordered some of our competitors and some of the things we loved what they were doing. And we saw holes in their game that we could probably do a little bit better. So without copying them, we just used it as a sounding board to see what we would like to do with our company and how we would treat our members differently, maybe, and how we would do the onboarding experience and the continual engagement with the members. But quite simply, you start by having the idea, you do some market research, you study your competitors, and you try to put together an email list, which is huge. 
the email list is a big part of it. So start creating some content for that and maybe trying to share the idea with family and friends because you really want to, before putting too much money in the idea, you want to make sure that it's validated and that it's something people will want and people would pay for. So part of the pre-launch, of course, is like finding out how much they would pay for the box and do they want a quarterly subscription or do they prefer a monthly subscription, those kind of things. Interesting. So I want to go back just for a second to the whole idea of scoping out the competitors as part of your research. I don't really think that's a bad idea because to your point about abundance, you're not doing it to copy what they've got going on. You're doing it to see what's already available, what might be a hole that you could fill so you could add additional value to what's out there by the inclusion in your box. And so it's all kind of discovery. I mean, look, that's what most companies do anyway. You're always kind of discovering not to copy, but to make yours different. Were you thinking that way when you were buying the boxes or were you feeling like you were being a spy? (laughs) No, not at all. We always knew like we're never going to be the type of people that would copy an idea and try to plagiarize anything, whether it's for the copy, the look, the design. We just wanted kind of like to see what they were doing, right? Because we know just by going on the reviews, some people obviously love them. And you're always going to have some haters too. So a lot of people didn't like what they were doing. So we want to see for ourselves, not go by what maybe that angry mom that day was posting about something or the super happy mom. So we want to have a basis of what we thought about the boxes. And it was more than one. We studied a lot of different boxes doing different things, but it was more to get like an idea of how to do it. You know, how does the subscription flow work from, from the time you press that order click button, do we receive an email right away confirming the order? And then did it give us a timeline when we would receive that order? So just more like the logistics and the whole experience side of things, because a huge part of subscription boxes, Sue, of course, is customer experience. And some do it really well and some do it less well. Interesting. So good with competition. I just wanted to make that point for anybody who's listening that it's okay to do that. And then I feel like once you know that portion of your research, then you back off. And then you focus on your customer, what your customer wants, fulfilling their needs versus looking at what a competitor is doing. Also, part of your research was the process. So completely agree with you in terms of the customer experience. What types of things were you seeing that you knew you wanted to improve upon? Well, there's certain things. Yeah, I think when it comes to like big companies and I think as small makers, and that's one of the things, a lot of their products were coming from overseas. We knew that because of their margins and what they could offer. So we knew we couldn't compete with that. So what we had to do is figure out a way to still be competitive, but bring something new to the table. So we decided to partner with local makers, small businesses, handcrafters, small artisans, and we found them all over Canada and U.S. through Etsy and through just like literally um, scouring Instagrams. We knew we could bring a unique take to it. Like you're not going to be getting the cheapest thing. And that's not what we wanted. As parents of five, we already know we have too many things in the house. We wanted quality over quantity. The way we could do that is by helping other small makers as well. And it just happened to be that when we launched the boxes, you know, COVID came around the corner right after, a couple months after. So it was a real emphasis on supporting local as well. So we just really jumped on that as well. And like, this was already what we wanted to do and having the ability now to support local businesses and have that as part of our flagship statement. Like, you know, when you support Louis and Leia, you're also supporting tons of local makers and small craft makers and small businesses across our continent. So I think that was a big part of what we wanted to do differently. And we were able to do that with also not having as many items in the box. We wanted just like two items for baby, one for mom, and then there was one additional upsell and mama add-on if they wanted additionally. So there wasn't like 10, 15 things because if you've ever ordered a subscription box, you would know, maybe Sue or your listeners would know, sometimes by month three, four, like, holy cow, like I've got too much of this stuff already. Maybe I'll pause my subscription. But 
when you keep having three, four quality items, it's easy to keep the subscription going. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about the pricing model. I mean, I'm sure a subscription that is an annual subscription is worth, well, I guess it's worth different things. I guess you would want to mix, but let's talk about that a little bit. How did you settle in on pricing and what your offers were going to be for frequency, et cetera? Yeah. So the way subscription models work, you typically have three main offers and these will vary. Some people have four, some people have two, but typically you'll see three. You'll have the month, the month, which you want to make as unattractive as possible. And we can get to that in a bit if you want. And then you want the six month. Some people also have a three month in there prepaid. And then you want the 12 month. We actually offer a three month prepaid in our gift section, but yeah, you have your 12 month, which is your most attractive offer. There's a heavier discount there. And then you have your six month, still a great offer with a bit of a discount. And then you have your month, the month, which you charge basically full price. The only attractive thing to the month to month we have for our our members is that it does have the option to cancel any time, but you pay more for that. Yeah, you pay more. I guess the consumer, especially if it's the first time they're having the box and they want to try it, they're paying more, but then it's less risky because they're only doing it one time. And then they decide from there. Do you see a lot of people do that, buy one box and then later come back for the subscription, the whole annual subscription? You know what? It's strange. In the year and a half or so, like it's, I don't really see that. I think most people just go for the more attractive six and 12 month offers. And that's great. That's what you want. That's exactly what you want. Because what happens is you want something called lifetime value LTV. So your customer acquisition costs are different than a traditional e-commerce store. So your listeners, they might have a Etsy shop. It's easy for me to go buy a $15 candle, a one-time thing. But it's quite actually harder to convince or to make it attractive for someone to subscribe to something. And there's something already going on in our industry called subscription fatigue. Everything is subscription. You got a subscription to Netflix, your internet provider, your phone company. There's subscriptions everywhere. So when you're trying to tell someone, hey, subscribe to this thing as well, there is a higher customer acquisition cost. There is a different way to go about it when it comes to marketing and advertising this. So you want to make it as really attractive as possible. And once you do get them to sign up, you want that lifetime value. You want them to be, you know, eight, 12 plus months, not just one or two months. That's a huge part to make the actual subscription work is to have good customer experience to keep them on board, having these value add-ons. And there's so many other things other than the product that goes into a successful subscription box, a community. There's just, I mean, it's endless, but yeah, you want that lifetime value. And that's why those kind of the three price structures, if you go, for example, to louisandleia.com, you'll see that it's a lot more attractive, save up to 21% on a 12 month than paying the regular price at $39.99, for example, on a month to month. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, subscription, you know, you're saying there's subscription fatigue. I think I was thinking of it as the other way is that we all understand and know subscriptions. It's a way to purchase that's familiar to us now. So I could see it go both ways, I guess. But for you, when people buy the annual subscription, you're actually making less money off a customer for each individual box, but you're able to actually roll out and understand what your income is going to look, what your revenue is going to look like over the course of the year, because those are then committed sales that are happening. 100%. And you can forecast a lot better. Yeah. So we can nerd out on like uh, CPAs, which are cost per acquisitions and lifetime value numbers and how that all works out if you want to. But I don't know if it's going to be too boring for the listeners, but it is a science. And once you really get into the science of subscription, it can also be predictable, which is a good thing. Right. And your annual subscription is paid all at once, right? Some people do that. We don't. 
we let them pay month to month and we make sure that they know it's on a commitment term. So does it happen where someone jumps out after six months for some reason? Yeah. I mean, some people sometimes will do that and you don't want them to and you remind them that they've committed to 12 months and that's why maybe they got their first box for free and that they're getting 21% off. But things happen and you still have to be flexible. It's sometimes it's just not worth the bad reviews and you part ways early with the customer. But most of the time people stick around for their subscription. Love that. So you're putting the faith in the customer that they're going to honor their commitment with what they had selected in the beginning. Yeah. And there's different things you can test. Your offers are a big part of it with subscription. You have to have a really good offer. And some people will actually put the free box at the end of the subscription. A good friend of ours does this with her subscription. She rewards them at the end. Now, that's a great thing. You're kind of rewarding them for sticking around for 11 months. And on the 12th month, their 12th box is free. And then you hope they were going to renew after that. <laughs> Go for another round. That's right. Yeah, you would. 100%. The only problem with that would be your customer acquisition cost will be a little bit higher. So because the offer is not as attractive as your first box, for whatever reason, it's the same thing. But some people do prefer the first box free offer. And what happens is definitely your customer acquisition cost will be, a, your offer will be a lot more attractive if it's the first box free for some reason. It's just the way it is. Got it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how you're finding your products. I know they're all local, which, you know, you're playing right into what we're all looking for, supporting small businesses, reducing the footprint, all of that. So what do you look for? What's important for you as you're searching out and then agreeing to having products included in your boxes? Yeah. So I think as long as they're a small business, as long as they're someone like we call them local makers, I know there's different words for things like small artisans. The way we do it, we quite honestly, like people refer, we're at the point now people actually reach out to us, which is great. We, know we can touch on that later. Instagram's a big one. Pinterest, Etsy, Google, trade shows, past trade shows and looking at who was there, you know, those kind of things, conferences, those are kind of the big ones we use, but just using the old good old sweat equity and scouring the internet, whether it's Instagram or Googling different things, I think is the way we've done it. Okay. Do you have anybody approach you where it's like, this is not a fit? <laughs> what are you even thinking? <laughs> oh, for sure that happens. But you know what? If you're a small maker listening and you're like, maybe something's triggered in your brain and you're like, I would love to be part of a subscription. Do reach out to subscription companies you think that would be a fit because oftentimes it is hard to curate 12 boxes. <laughs> There's so much work that goes into that. When people reach out and it's a fit, it's such a blessing for us. And we love it when people reach out because it's not always a fit, but you know, it could be down the road and you're planting a seed for maybe a future box or maybe we have a network of subscription box entrepreneurs. Someone reaches out to me and says, you know what, that doesn't quite work out. Maybe they would work out next October, but you know, if it's a coffee subscription, for example, local. But you could say, hey, you know what? This company here, I know they were looking for something. They might be a good fit. I'll get you in touch with them. So you can always ask for a referral if it's not a fit as well. And we're more than happy to do that. The subscription industry is like the most friendly, community-minded industry. It's unbelievable. People work and help each other out with like expecting nothing in return. It's just this great kind of a feel with it. So we'd be happy to help the local makers. Well, amazing. Well, we were kind of rolling into, I told you we weren't going to do this, Eric, and now I triggered it. <laughs> <laughs> we were saying as we were talking in the pre-chat that we were going to talk specifically about Louis and Leia, and then we were going to get into more of the subscription box overall. But I've messed the whole thing up, so we're going to keep rolling with it, and then we're going to go back again. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's opportunity here for people who have subscription boxes or are thinking about starting subscription boxes. And then there's also opportunity for some of our listeners to consider being a participant in a subscription box. So let's talk that angle now. As a product maker, is there a certain level I need to get to before I could reach out and see if there are opportunities out there? Or how does that all work? 
Yeah, it's like the old Japanese saying, the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. <laughs> the next best time is now. I say like now, like there's no good time. Like you'll find your makers. Here's the thing. I think people go online and they see these subscription companies. They assume they all have 15, 50,000, 10,000 members. A lot of them, probably the majority of subscription boxes have between like 100 to 1,000 members. So you'll be a fit for a lot of different boxes and there's no shortages of catalogs and places to find them. And I'd be happy to help them out with that if they need. But yeah, I think you start anytime and just reach out and look for boxes that would be a fit. Certain things you need to know. Most boxes, especially if it's a monthly box, they're pretty small because we want to save on shipping. You're looking at something of an average of like a nine by six by three inches, kind of as like a standard subscription box. Now, of course, there's exceptions. There'll be bigger boxes. So if you have a large candle company, for example, and the candles are pretty large, you might want to consider making a smaller one, especially for the price point sometimes. And the weight. I'm thinking in the weight for shipping too. And the weight, yes, 100%. But look at it this way as well. So as a subscription box owner, we're going to be paying wholesale for prices. We need to be profitable, but you also need to make money. And sometimes the downfall is that the small maker won't make a ton of money on, say, you know, the 500 candles or whatnot, but you're going to be getting these candles and you got to think about this into the hands of your ideal customer. And this is a thing where you might want to I'll include them with that a special deal just for those members, for those 500 members. Maybe it's a card that has a referral or some kind of link that they can go and visit and get a, just a discount just because they're members of that particular box. And this is a way to get future sales off of it, but it's also a way to get into the hands and maybe that person won't have it, but it's a sharing thing they can share with a friend or just get really creative on how to add as much value for the members because subscription box entrepreneurs want value, not just product. So are you saying that then we might even label the products a little bit differently or is this promotional material that would go with the candle? Great question. Sometimes you're going to get a no on your actual product. And if you do have a product, I wouldn't say your product has to change the labeling because if it's a subscription box that's supporting a small maker, they want to highlight that maker. In our cards, we include a special column on a card just about that company. But sometimes we say no to companies. It's not a fit because maybe our products are all curated for the year. But what we say is we're always looking for a featured company. So we'll have a four by six card. It's just an informational card about a featured company we're going to use. And it's, for example, our August box featured company happens to be a candle company. It's called Coal and Canary. It's a local maker here in Canada. And they did not fit the requisites to fit in our boxes because of price point and size and weights, but they had a cool four by six card, very well high quality card that had promotional material on there just for the members that they can order and have special discounts for the members. So that would be great for someone who has either a higher price product potentially or heavier, as you're saying. And then do they pay you to be included in the box? No, they don't. Because you're not buying their product. You're including the card. They pay for the card. That's the only thing. Yeah. So they would pay for the card and they have it delivered, whether they're doing printing through a local printer or Vista print, just gets delivered to our door. We get our cards, we put them in there and then we make sure just cross promote. And what's great about this, you got to think of the other thing is that the subscription box will be promoting this on their social feeds and on their blogs. A lot of subscription box have connections with like, you know, Forbes or these different high quality resources for people that read these things. It's another way to just get out there in front of a bigger audience. And sometimes there's backlinks that we'll have involved. So on our website, we might talk about on the blog about this, all the companies. This creates backlinks, which helps with your long-term SEO. It's endless, the benefits of partnering with a subscription box or even starting your own. Okay, so I just want to be clear, make sure I've gotten this right. So if someone was going to send you a card, they're paying for the production of the card, they're getting it to you, you're not charging them at all for it to be included in the box or promoting overall of the box. And for you, that's increasing the value of the boxes because here's another 
source of product that you're showing, right? But there's a little bit of production cost to that because you've got your whole production line when you're making the boxes, you're putting it into the box, you're making sure it fits properly, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not being charged for any of that or the promotion overall. Is that right? No, that's right. It's just for us, the way we collect. So like for Coal and Canary to be part of our subscription box, it was great for them because it just cost them whatever it was, a couple hundred bucks in printing costs. And now they're going into hundreds and hundreds of these ideal customers' hands with a specific exclusive. And for us, the pro is that our moms are getting just an exclusive deal just for them. It's tailor-made. And we make sure that the card has the code is Louis and Leia 15, if it's 15% off or whatever it looks like, right? So that it's very exclusive just for them. So these are exclusive benefits for the members. So they feel special about that. And it's great for the company. The only thing I would say is before you start printing the cards, make sure you're communicating with the subscription box owner or whoever's in charge, their production team, to make sure that the graphic design on the card is a fit. For example, if you're not a graphic designer and you put something that's just quote unquote pretty enough, they might be disappointed and not want to include that card. So just make sure they're on the same board. And some subscription box companies like ourselves will make sure that we'll do all the graphic design work for you. We'll put the card together and we'll send you the vector files or whatever, how it is. And my wife would do the terms there. She'll send back over the files and then they can get them printed because we want it to have our look, our brand. And that's important for most subscription boxes. So just communicate that through with the owner that you're speaking with. That's a really good point because you talk about experience too. You know, it's not just the experience with emails, but it's the whole experience of when you receive the box and you open it and the aesthetic that you're bringing forward, the whole way it looks. So I totally understand what you're talking about with that. I still don't understand, Eric, how do I make contact with these people to possibly be part of a box? Where do I find out who they are? Am I going to send them emails? Am I going to direct message them? What's your suggestion here? Oh my gosh, I love subscription boxes so much. And it's so fun to get the behind the scenes here. Wouldn't it be exciting to see you in a subscription box? Let's check out the potential for that right after a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laurie and I work right beside Sue to keep the ribbon print company thriving. I've been here from the start and it's been so fulfilling to watch the growth of business. Not just for us, but for our customers too. Adding the ability to personalize ribbon has been a game changer for many of our customers. We've been told it's what kept them in business back in 2008 and then again in 2020. As a matter of fact, we're seeing more and more schools and florists inquire about the capabilities, along with the standard businesses like handmade product creators, promotional product businesses, and chocolate makers. One of our strengths is that Sue used this technology when it was first identified to grow her gift basket business way back when. She's the only one in the industry to have actually applied it to her business, giving her insight on pricing and marketing that others just don't have. This is also why our software, along with an exclusive online training program, is the industry gold standard. Nothing else comes close to its reliability, design flexibility, and ease of use. All done with the goal of making you look good as you bring smiles to the faces of your customers. To learn more and see The Ribbon Printer in action, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Yeah, there's some great tips here I have for your listeners. Okay, so first of all, the one thing, it's going to be work. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to look and scour the internet for potential subscription boxes that are fits. Keep in mind, if you're a smaller maker, the first ones that come up on top of Google will be probably some pretty large ones. So you might want to go to the bottom page two or something 
and you'll really find some niche stuff. My subscription addiction, Crate Joy Marketplace have a lot of ideas for boxes. You have a lot of smaller makers there as well. But you're going to find something. Uh, Instagram can do keyword searches, look for hashtags, subscription boxes, those kind of things. LinkedIn have a lot of owners. But first thing you want to do is go with what they provide you with in the first place. So email. Usually there's a contact us page. If there's an email, hello at Louis and Leia, for example, you want to use that because that's what they gave you. So that's what they probably want you to use first. Now, there is something called gatekeepers in most subscription box owners. Sometimes that's just a husband and wife team or a couple of friends that have a box together and that be, might be one of them. But nonetheless, you have to get through that first gatekeeper, whoever is going through the emails to get their attention. One of the things you want to make sure in your subject line is something kind of catchy, whether it's something like, you know, interested to be partnering with your box, you know, bulk order, inquiry, those kind of things will get the attention, potential partnership, those kind of things. And the email might or might not get read. Now, if the email is not successful, if you can find another way to get a hold of them, you can try a DM on Instagram. Every subscription box has an Instagram account and you can DM there. If that doesn't work or if it's taking longer than it should, a great tip here is to do a video. And you know, you have to get maybe out of your comfort zone for this, but it works, trust me, because it will separate you from the masses. Just do a simple video, say, hey, this is Eric from Louis and Leia. We make candles and I think it'd be a great fit for your box because, and give them a reason because, so it doesn't look like you're just sending the same message to everyone and tell them why you'd be a great fit and just keep it really short, 15, 30 seconds, and then thank them in advance. And that's another great tip. Always put thanks in advance. So it has kind of this subconscious open loop that it leaves into the mind of the person reading it that they want to close that loop. So they want to fulfill that. Yeah, videos are great on DM. LinkedIn's another great one. A lot of subscription entrepreneurs are on LinkedIn because of networking purposes. And if you can't get through the, let's say the hello at Louis and Leia, oftentimes just by doing searches on LinkedIn, Google, or Instagram, you'll find the name of the owners. We might even have it in their about page. So in our case, it's Eric and Christine. Well, guess what? Most subscription box entrepreneurs are just like me and Christine. So what did we do when we, we created our website? We have the hello, yes, but we all have Eric at Louis and Leia, Christine at Louis and Leia. So if you find the name of the company and then you can find their owner's names, use their name at that company. Most likely that's their direct email and you can bypass all the gatekeepers and just get a hold of them directly. That's a great tip. And worst case, it just bounces back to you. So no harm done. No harm, no foul, <laughs> as they say. Exactly. A hundred percent. And the last tip would just be, again, I just want to emphasize on do not mass email a hundred different companies. We know when it's a mass email. You know when you get a mass email, right? Like everyone knows. Because of the wording in the email? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm also thinking you need to be careful because what if you get accepted by a number of different companies all at the same time for production purposes and all the logistics around it? But getting back to these emails for one second... Would you suggest that you say just really quickly what your business is, but then also offer up the specific product that you think you'd like them to consider so you make their work really easy? Yeah, quick intro. Don't go into a long story. No whole resume, huh? <laughs> no resume, please. Honestly, that like Networking 101, like you want to just a really quick intro and maybe have a link where they can find out more about you. So if they are interested, let mm -hmm. them do it. They don't need to see your whole resume there. But then tell them what would be the fit, why you're reaching out to them, and potentially a product you had in mind, but you're open to suggestions. You're someone that's easy to work with. That's the best thing. And because if it's not a fit, again, we'd be happy usually to refer or down the road, come back to you again, right? So just make it always a great positive experience no matter what. So on your end, do you map out the different months and what the overall theme of the box is going to be? So if I was bringing you a product, you were referencing this a little bit earlier, you could put it in any box that makes sense for you. But do you ever share with people what your 
planned schedule would be if you have themed months? We definitely theme our months. Like for the summertime, it was very summertime, like bringing, going to the beach kind of a feel for the moms and also things that they can bring with them on picnics and outings. Most boxes have that kind of thing. But yeah, I think it's, we would share that with our clients. We're like, hey, you know what? Like you're a candle maker and you're thinking, you know, what candle scent would be a good one? Well, fall is a great time for all of your candles around Christmas times. We would try to maybe put you in in a fall box. So right now, if you reach out to them in the spring, that might not be a fit. Maybe it is, but we might consider you in the fall. So keep that in mind. So if they say to reach back out to them, put a note in your calendar to reach back out to them whenever they tell you to. And if it's a no, which is okay, because it's nothing personal. I always say this, and then this was the same with my suppliers, or if I'm reaching out for someone to come on my podcast, I don't just finish it at a no. I'll keep the conversation going by saying, hey, no problem, Sue. I understand it's not a fit at this time, but would you mind if I reach out to you in two months? And they'll say, I've never had someone say no to be first off. But the only thing I make sure is because you know why they say they don't mind is because most people won't do it. So make sure as soon as you say that and that email has been sent and they say no problem, put in your calendar, put a reminder, a notification that in that two months, you're sending that email again and reply to that email so that it kind of brings them back to the whole conversation again. Oh my gosh. Excellent, excellent advice. Because you're so right. So many people will say that and then never heard from again. (laughs) Never. They never, they never. So when you actually do it, it blows their mind. And I'm telling you, I do it all the time, especially for when I'm reaching out to podcast guests. And it blows their mind because they're like, what? Like he actually came back to me two months. Oh my gosh. Well, and I think also for people who are a little hesitant or uncertain about their product, my guess is Eric that you appreciate people reaching out because you don't want to always have to be the one that's sourcing the product. If great products come to you, that's helped you with what you're supposed to be doing, all the collating. So you're almost giving them a gift by offering up the product. Listen, small makers out there, okay, we love it when you guys reach out to us. So do it. Do it. (laughs) It's a blessing. Yeah, just do it. We love it. It just helps us tremendously to curate products. We have so much on our plate already. This is just like a gift when we get um, people reaching out to us with the proper and the right fit. Okay, so you've accepted my product. Now what happens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll have a contract on how payment. So some subscription boxes will pay after the shipment is done or once the product has arrived. Some people will do 50% now, 50% after reception. And then usually you can negotiate on these terms as well. We have like set terms. We'll pay 50% up front and then 50% after everything's all been completed. And the reason for that, if you're wondering, well, why do they do that? Well, it's because as subscription box owners, we only get paid once a month, right? So for us, we get paid on the first of every month. So we tell people we'll pay you after that. So, you know, between the second and the fifth, you'll get your money because it's kind of like a net 30 terms basically is what it is. Because once that invoice comes in, that cash flows back in to pay our suppliers. So that's what happens. So once those financials are taken care of, which is not a big deal, you want to start talking about deadlines and whatever you say on your deadline, you know, always under promise and over deliver and things happen. I get it. Maybe, you know, your material didn't come in or a certain ingredient wasn't here in time. Be honest and open with them because what happens, this has happened with us. There was, I think, a typhoon in China and one of the local makers was waiting on, she was making these hand uh, and something didn't come in time anyways and she was very honest and we're like thank you for letting us know we'll move your product to another month we'll just do a switch with another one and everything worked out in the end but if she would have tried to just say yeah it'll be here on time we would have completely botched and sent our boxes late so always under promise and over deliver and just be transparent if you can't provide enough candles for example let's say they're asking for 1500 candles you know in your mind you'll only be able to do 750 then suggest that you know what that's not a problem i can still yeah i have this other friend she makes candles and we can maybe partner together and make the 1500 as a tandem or whatnot so just be transparent 
Oh, interesting. So you would do that with your box. I'm thinking maybe the larger ones might not, where they do similar product, multiple makers in the product. I never thought about that before. Oh, 100%. Like a lot of small makers maybe can't put together 5,000 something or 1,500. But just bring answers to the subscription entrepreneur and tell them why that would work and why it should be beneficial as well, because you're getting two companies for the price of one almost, right? Okay, so that brings up two things I want to ask you about. First off, as a local maker, let's say I'm right in the area. Would it be valuable to you if I were to say, look, if ever you run into an emergency and you know you need to fill a box because something's happened with your scheduling or delivery or something, I'm right down the street. You can always use me as a backup. Would that be valuable? Totally. Yeah, we actually have a couple of companies like that that we use that are always top of mind if something should happen or we're short. What happened to this order? It was short. Again, they, maybe they overpromised. Well, then we'll use them to fill up the rest of the quota mm-hmm. or whatnot. And something to keep in mind that when reaching out, you don't have to go cross country or international. Look in your own city. I know some people are rural, but you, there is a major city close to you at some point. And just look there. There's probably dozens and dozens of subscription boxes just in your area. And you can be attractive to them by being something you're, you can deliver yourself. So they save on shipping and just increase their margins and bring better value to them as well. So I think we personally will always, of course, you won't be in their box every time, but just just think maybe local first and try to start there, get a grasp on how it is that experience with subscription boxes and then kind of go from there. Yeah, no, I think that should be the first step because it's the easiest relationship to establish and there are additional benefits just by the proximity for sure. Like, let's say one of the products comes and one of the boxes is completely broken. So even though they sent the right number of product, some of it's damaged and they need to backfill for the boxes. So how does your deadlining work for production purposes? Do you have a hard stop of the point where you're accepting product? Because then you've got to be putting these boxes together. Yeah. And that'll all be discussed in that initial conversation with both the transactions and stuff saying we need this. And some people will say, Especially if it's a smaller box, they might be like, well, we might need 200 products, but we'll for sure need 150. So you can start on those 150. Let's get them ready by the 15th. And then every week I'll give you an update. So it's sometimes like because their members are growing, you know, if it's a new company. So just be transparent, whatever it is, just have that conversation. But there is always a hard stop. So, for example, we bill on the first, we ship out on the 10th. So we know that our shipping week starts on the third. We start packing from the third to the 10th because on the 10th they're out. So we tell them. You have until the third, but we'd appreciate it if that was at least half of the quarter was done mid-month prior. Okay, that makes sense. And so how do you manage that then with new subscription orders coming in, even past your deadline? Yeah, it's just forecasting. And what's great about that is that you can just easily put a sold out sign on your website, which causes like um, FOMO, FOMO if you're (laughs) missing out. Yeah, (laughs) big time. So yeah, it happens. You know, inventory is honestly one of the hardest things, maybe other than shipping to control in subscriptions, because your numbers should always be going up. So you have to forecast that, but you'll always have excess inventory. It's great if we have when we have excess inventory, because most subscription companies have a shop. So for us, we'll have past boxes or we'll put together the best of, we'll have certain promotions. So that candle that you're making for that box that maybe was in the September box, well, guess what? It's probably going to be also on the website. So you're going to get more exposure there. It's probably going to be going into a past box. It might be going into a future production. If there was like 50 extra candles, you might be going into a free gift offer down the road and still promoting your stuff. It's, it's really, there's more than just that one month you're going in. Think of it as a long-term relationship and a long-term kind of plan as well. Oh, that's something I didn't know about the boxes. That's really interesting. Is there an average churn that you will see? 
Oh yeah, 10% is kind of industry. You don't want, well, you're hopefully lower than 10%. 10% would be like the standard. If you're higher, if you're churn, and for those who don't know what churn is, that's the people leaving your subscription. So for example, if you're 100 people are coming in every month, that means 10 are leaving as well. So you got a net 90 on your memberships every month. So you want to be below 10. You know, most good companies have anywhere between three and 6%, up to eight, maybe 10 being kind of like you want to be under 10, but not probably at 10. But that's a good safe forecasting number. All right, really interesting. Okay, as we're getting closer to the end here, I want to swing back to another important point for, well, it's really for both sides, but that is how do you attract the first customers that you're bringing in? So when you first started with Louie and Leia, how'd you get the word out? I know you started talking emails, but talk through the whole process there. Yeah, it's all about getting some excitement. So there's two things you want to probably do. There's more than two things, but the two things for sure is kind of make it fun and gamify it. Someone might win their first three months subscription or a six month subscription or maybe just their first box, but make it fun, make it attractive for people to want to sign up and have great free resources. So the exchange for that email is going to be a great piece of content you're going to put together or multiple pieces of content, hopefully, but for sure, one great piece of content that's free that someone would want in that niche. So for us, we had like the ultimate packing checklist to get to the hospital. We had the secret every new mom needs to know. So these are like kind of great things that they want to know these things. We know they're looking for them anyways, and we're giving it to them for free. The only exchange is the email. And on top of that, when they put that and they get to that landing page is that they get to maybe potentially also win a subscription. So now they're excited about the content. They're excited about this box or you're exchanging the email. And that's kind of how you start this little, the little wheel to, of subscription boxes. And I'm thinking you're throwing some money at ads to get out there for people to see this so that you can collect the emails. Yeah. If, you have, if you're a small maker and you have an existing audience, use that first. Use family and friends as sounding boards as well. The thing is, don't take this wrong, but don't take the family and friends advice too seriously, especially if they're not your ideal customer. So some people are like, oh man, all my family and friends really did not like my box idea. Well, are they your ICA, your ideal customer avatar? Is this who you're wanting to sell to? If not, go to those people. For us, we went to birthing centers, went to see doulas, went to see places where moms hang out and just ask them, put together like a fake box, almost like, would you be interested in this? And how much would you be willing to pay for it? So just that's part of the market research. We're backtracking there, but you want to start with your family and friends for sure, but don't take that too seriously. If you have an existing audience, great. That's also good. But yeah, paid ads, is don't be too intimidated with paid ads. It's not that difficult and you don't need to spend a ton of money. It's just enough to get that creative piece of content into the hands of potential ideal customers. And so now you've learned so much, you've started a podcast, and now you're starting to help people with their own subscription boxes, right? Tell me more about that. That's exciting. <laughs> well, my passions are, of course, being a husband and father, first and foremost, like you mentioned off the top, but subscriptions is what I do. So the subscription box, Louie and Leia, this is what we do full time. But my other passion is my podcast, The Subscription Box Show. So I started this because, like I mentioned off the top, I love podcasts and books as a way to learn. But in the beginning, there wasn't too much when it came to subscription only podcasts. There's a lot of e-commerce podcasts, business podcasts, but there wasn't nothing really subscription specific. And if there was, it was biased. Maybe it was done by an agency. Maybe it was done by a specific someone who had a, something to profit from. I just wanted to put something together that was unbiased and that anyone could learn from, especially if they're starting or thinking of starting or looking to grow their own subscription box. So the show officially launched in April of 2020, right smack in the middle of COVID. And a year and a bit later, here we are, I guess a year and a half later, we've got 178 episodes. We publish two shows a week. 
One is an interview style where I interview some of the biggest founders of the world, people like my personal hero, Olivia Canlis from Yowbox. She's been on the show, so that's come full circle. And she's one who inspired me to start my subscription box, right? But also on, on Fridays, I have something called Focus Friday, where I focus on a specific hot, something that's current in the industry. So current affairs, kind of a show, very short, 15 minutes, just focus on something that would be beneficial for the listeners. And yeah, so it's just to help other people who want to start. So if you're listening to this as a small maker and you're thinking about maybe partnering with subscription boxes or maybe even starting your own, definitely have a listen to the subscription box show. It's going to be, uh, you're going to love this. Show. It's a lot of fun to do and it's all about giving back. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I do know a couple of subscription box people who are listeners. So you're going to pick up some listeners hmm. for sure. No question about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. What do you see moving forward? What's your vision as the months and years progress here? Yeah. So what's happened, well, the unbiased thing, again, what's happened is just, again, the network in the community and subscription boxes is so amazing. I've actually been able to partner and be an affiliate with some courses. So I'm going to continue doing that. So if it's something specific you're getting really serious about starting subscription box, the podcast is the best free resource for sure. But there's also some paid stuff there you can get as well. There's three different courses on the site. If you go to the subscriptionboxer.com, you can see more there under the programs tab. I'd be happy to answer any questions for your listeners on those. So I'm going to continue to dabble with courses that I find beneficial and I've taken all of them. By the way, so I know what they're all about. So I only promote things I know would help you. And there are ones that wouldn't, others that wouldn't. So I always do a free consult call as well. And that's not to sound salesy. If you just go and just want the free stuff on this site, go for it and you listen to the episodes. But if it's at a point where you need some help, there are other resources as well. So we're going to continue to do that. The future of the podcast, I think, is bright in that sense. Maybe eventually doing some kind of mastermind, I think, would be down the road, something I'd love to do. If you guys have ever been part of a mastermind, you'll know the benefits of those, especially if you're in the right one. And I think there's a great opportunity there. For the box, we're just going to continue to grow. I think the goal for every box is to get to a point where you disrupt so much that maybe one of the big companies wants to buy you. I think getting acquired and then maybe starting the process all over again would be great. I think that's kind of the future of the podcast. But Louis and Leia, yeah, as well, is growing tremendously. And I think it's just such a great mm -hmm. niche. Who knows where the future holds? But when it comes to those things specifically, yeah, that's uh, where I see it. Yeah, well, it's exciting. And I can just hear the passion in your voice as you talk about it, too. So that's amazing. <laughs> and you're so generous today because you're offering us up a couple of gifts here, things that we can take advantage of. Well, first off, you already were talking about the 15-minute consult. So that's available. And then how would they get that 15-minute consult? You know what? So reach out to me either at eric at louisandlea.com, Louis, L-O-U-I-S, and A-N-D, Lea, L-E-A. I'm French-Canadian. I don't know if you pick it up in the yeah. accent, but eric at louisandlea.com or eric at the subscriptionboxshow.com. And I'm sure you're going to have that in your show notes, but very easy to get hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn as well, at Eric Music. And music is just like it sounds, except add a K at the end. Perfect. So additionally, if you are interested in any of the courses that Eric offers, he will also share with you a 10% discount on any course. And I'm sure if someone mm -hmm. gets to that point, they can also reach out to you and understand how that they would take advantage of that. And then also for any new moms or grandmothers, because I'm sure this is also a big part of your audience, grandmothers sending boxes, You've also so generously <laughs> offered a 15% discount off anything in your shop, including the boxes. Yes, 100%. Yeah, just use the discount code here. I think I put gift biz unwrapped as the discount code. That is amazing. It's very generous. Thank you so much for that. One final piece of inspiration from you to anyone who's considering starting or participating in a subscription box. 
yeah, just take action. I think just start reaching out. Don't be afraid to take that next step. I think uh, people get caught up in just analyzing to the point of like they get stuck and almost have a self-defeatist mindset. Just get out there. And if you're unsure what you want to do, just get into as many things as possible to get the creation flow going. Yeah, just take some action and reach out. I think, you know, if you're just want to dabble from like an outsider's view and just kind of like see from behind the scenes what's happening, go to Facebook groups. They're fantastic. And there's a ton of subscription Facebook groups, mine included, the subscription box or Facebook group. Find that niche. It doesn't have to be that one. Just find a niche you're into. There's going to be a subscription box for that. And there's going to be a, a Facebook group for that. And just kind of like hide in the weeds and kind of see what it's all about. And eventually, as your comfort grows, you know, step out and ask questions and don't be afraid to reaching out. People love it. If it's a trade shows, go to them online events, go to them and just really make yourself present. And trust me, we want your products in our boxes. So if you're a creator, a small maker, just find that perfect fit. And there's a ton of them out there. It's an amazing opportunity on both ends. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of your insights, experience, learnings, and support for the industry. We appreciate you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me. I wish you could see me right now. I am bubbling with excitement about you considering being part of a subscription box. Are you feeling the same way? It's an entirely separate profit center that I bet is untapped for you right now. Seriously, if your product would fit into a box, go research some of the local ones in your area and reach out to them. You have all the information you need to make this happen. It's only up to you to act upon it. Next week, we'll be hearing from a repeat guest. She's going to share some of the new sales and visibility activities that have come up recently. I specifically wanted to bring her back as an example of how a still relatively young business can expand when you have your eye out and say yes to opportunities. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the show, please leave a rating and review. That means so much and helps the show get seen by more makers. So it's a great way to pay it forward. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.